Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible couples therapist and university lecturer, Marsha Naomi Berger. Hello, Marsha, and welcome to the show. Oh, hello, Zach, and it is my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for coming on. And for our listeners, today we are going to be talking about how to date when you are marriage-minded. And for those that don't know, Marsha Naomi Berger is an experienced therapist committed to marriage, strengthening relationships, and fostering emotional, mental, and spiritual health. For over 30 years, she has been helping individuals and couples and regularly leads dynamic marriage and communication workshops. She has taught continuing education classes for therapists at Berkeley, Alliant International University, and for various professional associations. And she has also served as a lecturer on the clinical faculty at the University of California School of Medicine. She is the author of Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love, 30 Minutes a Week to the Relationship You've Always Wanted. And her latest book is entitled Marriage Minded, an A to Z dating guide for lasting love. How are you today, Marcia? Oh, I'm just fine, Zach. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. And I'm excited to ask you all the questions about marriage and staying married and what we want to do before we get married. But I first have to learn a little bit more about you on what made you want to pursue this path of marriage? What makes you feel that marriage is so important? And just being a bit facetious here, but you don't think marriage is an outdated institution based in patriarchy? <laughs> I think it depends what kind of, I'm starting with your last question. I think whether marriage is patriarchal or not uh, depends on what kind of marriage you have. I'm much in favor of a collateral type marriage where no one is considered uh, superior or in charge of the relationship. It's a joint venture where you're a team that is investing energy to keep your relationship great so that both of you are feeling fulfilled in all the important ways. So what put you on the path of devoting your life to marriages? Probably a combination of my professional life and my personal life. When I worked at the Alcoholism Evaluation Treatment Center in San Francisco mm. uh, many years ago when I was still single, I received some excellent training in couple and family therapy. And it seemed like I had a knack for it. I became... Uh, Basically, I was considered the expert at the at the agency and other staff would learn mm -hmm. from me and have me provide them clinical supervision when they were working with couples and families. And meanwhile, I was still single. <laughs> and when I did finally get married after a long time being single, I thought it would be a great idea to take a class for couples because we were pretty good, but I knew we had lots to learn. And it was a great class. And we were the only people that came to the class. They did it just for us. And I would say that we were the only couple in um, Marin County that thought we had room to grow. 
<laughs> You're the only ones that went there. So that's, that's a little tongue in cheek. And uh, the one thing that we took that we kept up with from all the things that we learned in the class, it was just a very little piece, was the idea of having a weekly marriage meeting. And that became something that I really liked so much. I wanted to share it with other people and it involved into articles and workshops for couples. And finally, my first book, Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love, 30 Minutes a Week to the Relationship You've Always Wanted, so that people could know exactly how to conduct a successful marriage meeting. And then after a while, I guess I got interested in putting what I knew from being single for such a long time. I was dating for over 20 years before mm -hmm. I got married and also what I'd learned professionally. So that evolved into the current book, which is called Marriage Minded, an A to Z dating guide for lasting love. Yeah, that was one of the things I really resonated with when I was looking and reading your books is that you absolutely practice what you preach. And you and your husband have been practicing these marriage meetings for a long time now, and you actually credit them for the lasting happiness of your marriage. So how long have you been married for? I asked that because I'm curious, like after so much time, what do you even have to talk about? <laughs> Okay. Well, that question implies that we are static people and nothing ever comes up that's new in our daily lives. <laughs> um, and I know that you know that's not true because we're all growing and evolving. And uh, besides having our romantic parts of our relationship, we also have the daily business that happens when you have a home to run and you have to take care of finances and all kinds of little things that come up. And you want to not just have one date after you get married, but every week have a date together so that you can, can rekindle the flame that existed when you were courting, when you were getting to know each other. So the marriage meetings are just a great idea to cover all aspects of your relationship, especially remembering that you appreciate each other and that you're handling the business part of relationship well, and that you are planning to self-nurture yourself with whatever activities you do for yourself. I know you're a yoga teacher, so yoga is a great way for self-nurture that we can do individually or as mm -hmm. a couple. And then whatever you like to do as a couple, it's important to do something at least once a week to keep that flame growing. And then there are always issues that are going to come up because like I said, we're different people, we're evolving, we have different needs and it can be exciting and wonderful to learn how to communicate differences in a way that's constructive and collaborative and you both end up feeling better. Usually when you're done, not everything gets solved overnight. I say Rome wasn't built in a day, but generally you can resolve things pretty well and prevent misunderstandings if you don't let them linger very long. So every week, no grudges. Mm. I absolutely do believe that yoga is a really wonderful way to nurture ourselves. And I am a yoga teacher and I'm also a poet. And I love your alliteration when you said that we want to communicate our differences in a way that's constructive and collaborative. Oh, thank <laughs> so make constructive, collaborative communication. I love that. And I'm curious about what makes a marriage meeting different than just a normal meeting, right? I think many people probably listening feel like they talk to their partner all the time. They you know, have dinner and they tell them about their day or they're driving somewhere and they're talking. 
How does just the general conversation we have with our partners differ than what you might talk about in a marriage meeting that would motivate someone to bring this into their life? Oh, that's a good question, Zach. And I would say that the conversations that you're referring to where you're just hanging out together are are wonderful and important to keep those going. What's different about the marriage meeting and why you want to have it every week is you may be forgetting to express appreciation during your daily lives. It's very easy to take each other for granted. The marriage meeting prevents that. It has a loosely structured agenda and it's a gentle conversation, but it does have an agenda. First part is appreciation where you tell each other what you especially valued about each other in their behavior or actions, anything that they did during the week that you liked. And then the next part is chores or responsibilities where you fairly quickly handle whatever the business parts of your marriage are. And then the third part is planning for good times where you make sure to plan a weekly date and maybe some activities that you do individually or with friends. The most important part is what you're going to do together. And then the last part is dealing with issues and using the positive communication skills that I explain in both of my books in different ways. So we have appreciation, chores, planning for the good times, and then dealing with issues. Correct. So let's talk about those issues. That seems to be like the biggest thing. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on how to overcome some of those biggest issues in your professional opinion, why do most marriages fail? And what are some of the most common obstacles to a lasting and fulfilling union? So why most marriages fail? I'd say there are two main reasons they fail. One is somebody picks a partner that is not really a good choice. They don't have enough similar values. They're not a good choice Not for great them. character traits that you value. Mm-hmm. Those, I'd say those are the main reasons. I think the character traits are so important. So that's the first reason I, I believe marriages fail is, is the wrong, a poor choice, okay, mm-hmm. or not a good choice. And then I think the second reason is that people lack the techniques for mm-hmm. keeping the relationship good. And often this is about communication skills and being brave enough to deal with issues rather than let them fester. Mm-hmm. and uh, using communication skills that are likely to work well. So you mentioned positive communication skills before, and now you're talking about how important good communication skills are. So what are some of those communication skills we want to bring into our relationships? A very crucial one is I statements, mm-hmm. where if you're feeling upset with your partner, or if you feel appreciative of your partner, either way, to speak from the heart. Um, don't come across as judgmental with what we call you statements. We're saying uh, you're always late. You know, if you change it to an I statement, it's I'd really appreciate it if you would be on time, uh, especially this Sunday when we're going over to the party. And, and it's really important to arrive promptly at this particular one. So you're asking for what you want rather than rather than complaining about what you don't want, which is another communication Mm. skill. And that's communicating congruently or assertively in a way that respects both you and the other person. So I statements are generally uh, good examples of of, um, congruent communication. And and there are several others. Uh, Do you want me to give you more? I love it. Yeah. So I'm hearing I statements versus you statements, speaking from the heart. What are some 
a few more. Noticing your nonverbal communication, mm. recognizing that only 7% of the words that we say are taken in by the listener when we're in a personal conversation. 38% is communicated by our voice tone, volume, inflection, mm. and 55% is our body language. So if we say something like, um, I really like you, but you're frowning. <laughs> you, know, you, you have a, a, a not a congruent message. You have a, a disconnect and people are going to notice more how your face looks and whether your arms are crossed, whether you look open or not. So mm -hmm. that's the body language, the nonverbal communication part. And then another communication skill is self-talk. It takes a little while to explain self-talk because there are uh, about six steps to it that you do. But basically, it's noticing what message you give to yourself um, and mm -hmm. noticing whether or not it's helpful. And if not, changing it to a message that's more helpful to yourself and to your relationship. And there is how to give constructive criticism or feedback. And there's also one of my favorites is brainstorming for solutions, mm. which many people have done in business. But I realize that it's a great idea to bring this into your personal relationships, realizing that old expression, there are more ways than one to skin a cat, meaning that if you have an issue, like let's say I have a couple uh, that I've been seeing, they weren't sure how to get past this block they seem to have from going to bed at the same time. So we did brainstorming where we define the issue mm -hmm. and, and then we look at lots of ways to deal with it by everybody putting out their ideas. And then they came up with like out of 12 ideas, there were 10 that they wanted to implement to make it work. So the idea is that it gets away from being stuck with my way or the highway to let's be creative and resourceful and let's look at different possibilities. Yeah, I love all of those tools. I feel like each one can really transform our relationship. And I even love what you said towards the beginning on how important it is to ask for what you want rather than complain about what you don't want. <laughs> right, right. Such yeah. an important shift. For sure. And I want to ask you more about that element of noticing nonverbal communication. Because two things come up for me when I think about the challenges that couples get into. One is often a person thinks they're speaking in a normal regular tone of voice. Like one person says, stop yelling at me. And the other person <laughs> says, I'm not yelling. This is my voice. <laughs> and that ties into kind of the second thing that comes up for me is it seems almost habitual or instinctual the way that we do communicate, the way that we do use our tone of voice. Like it's, we all have kind of a natural way of speaking. So how do we begin to shift our communication, including like all those things? Like, uh, do I have to think, how am I, how's my tones? How's my volume? How's my inflection? Like, how do we communicate non-verbally in a better way? <laughs> I think I would start with one because <laughs> if I'm thinking about my inflection, my body language, I mean, you know, it's going to be too overwhelming. <laughs> uh, so yep. let's just say very personally, if I, oh, I think, I don't know I told you, um, you asked me how long I've been married. I've been married for over 33 years now. Mm -hmm. And we started having marriage meetings during our first year of marriage when we took that class. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so, so getting back to how, how do you change a habit, basically, is what you're asking me, right? Well, 
the, yeah, the second question is how to you change your habit. But then the first one was like, what about the, a, a person who might feel like they're being attacked or yelled at or they're receiving what they interpret to be a, a very harsh tone of voice that the other person thinks is just their way of speaking? And, and the question is, how do you make these people happy together? <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, that's a hard one uh, because you don't know. You don't know. I, I think you can guess that the person is speaking in a normal tone, but the other person maybe is hypersensitive and easily feels criticized or put down. And I think I need like a wider context for the relationship. Has this person been yelled at a lot when they were little or by their current partner or by somebody else? You know, we don't know what's coming from whom here. Mm. And if the person who's complaining about the loud voice really owns the problem, then it's important for the person, for both of them, ideally, to, to realize that. And there are different ways to do that. Uh, but the person who is on the other end, who maybe is feeling falsely accused of yelling, I think probably to be sensitive to the other person and just say, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm yelling. I'm not aware that I'm yelling. And um, please tell me anytime you want me to speak so more softly mm. and do this very quietly. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, the main idea is to show that you care. Most, most of the arguments people have are because somebody doesn't feel loved or cared for by the way the other person is treating them. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? Just that underlying connection. Yes. So let's move on to your new book, Marriage Minded. And just tell our listeners, what does it mean to be marriage minded? I like that question very much. What it means is that you're doing a different kind of dating from the kind that many of us, many of us have done for a long time before realizing uh, that we truly want to get married. We may think we want to get married, but for some reason... We are dating in a way I call recreationally or in what I call a going, a going nowhere relationship. I use that term in the book often. Once we know that we want our relationship to go somewhere specifically other than to have fun uh, <laughs> one way or another, once we know it, then we get to a point where we automatically tune out people that are on a different page relationship wise than we are. Um, and it doesn't mean we always know right away, but it is something that is certainly worth finding out after a few dates, whether the other person is also dating with the idea of finding a marriage partner mm. rather than for company or recreation or sex or whatever is on their mind. Yeah, it's interesting how over time, the average age that people are getting married is later and later. Right. A few decades ago, the average was like 20, 21. Now it's up to like 26, 27, 28. So, what's your opinion on that recreational dating? Do you feel that like it's useful to have, you know, a few relationships under your belt before you go dive deeper into the lifelong partnership? Um, I think it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. You know, at different times, we're at different maturity levels, hopefully it's getting better and better. And not everybody is ready for marriage. You know, so, some people can be 18 and ready for marriage and other people might be 40 or 50 or even more and ready for marriage. So uh, it's, it's really about your readiness. It's true. Yeah. 
<laughs> I've seen both ends of that spectrum. <laughs> I've lived both ends. <laughs> <laughs> so Marriage Minded, your book, is basically this glossary of important concepts, important concepts to know for lasting love. One letter I found interesting was J, which stands for both journey and also joy. You write that people that view marriage as a journey are more successful than those who view it as a destination. So tell our listeners about why it's helpful to view marriage as a journey rather than a destination. Oh, yeah, Zach, this relates to your early question about why you have to have keep having marriage meetings rather than just have one and you're all set. Mm. So, so if somebody views marriage as a destination... Well, we're all done. We had the wedding. It wasn't that nice. Uh, don't expect anything to change. Um, and the reality is that we are, we're living organiz- organisms and we do grow and we change in different ways. And it is so important to recognize that in ourselves and also to accept that the process is also going on for our partner. And we don't want to be stagnant, I guess. So, so that's not fun. And it's going to lead to resentments if you're feeling like you are stuck and and not growing and other kinds of depression whatever you know if, if you if you don't go with your internal energy your soul and what your needs are then you're not on a journey and the journey mm. is so beautiful it's so alive and so enriching and that's the way marriage is when we do view it as the journey and we are with a compatible partner and we make sure to keep up with each other along the way. It is, isn't it? A beautiful journey too. (laughs) I don't want to say this is all ecstasy because life has ups and downs. Marriage has ups and downs, but that is part of the journey too. Uh, There's a saying, uh, which is in my marriage minded book. And I have it quoted by the person whose name I don't think I can pronounce. I'm afraid to say it. And it's uh, something like um, in a good marriage, you fall in love with your partner over and over again, mm-hmm. which means that you also fall out of love over and over again. But, but it's the in love part you know, that, that keeps us going and, and should happen often. I actually saw that quote and I loved it so much. I actually tweeted it as I was reading your book. So the quote is, (laughs) a successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person by Mignung McLaughlin. See, yeah, it is hard. Sounds good to me. (laughs) It sounds good to me. Thank you. So our topic for today is actually how to date when you're marriage-minded. So you mentioned how recreational dating is a totally different frame of mind and frame of ref- reference. So what does it mean to date when you're marriage-minded? How does that look differently? Well, you're making sure that this is the kind of person, if you want to keep dating him, he's somebody that you like hanging out with. Okay? Of course, chemistry is important, but chemistry can go away easily if you don't feel compatible in the long run. So you want someone you're hanging out with, you're kind of checking out what's important to them, maybe how they deal with money uh, and how they deal with work and how they deal with their friends and family members. You want to get a good sense of what their values are and what their character traits are Mm. and whether you want the same basic kind of lifestyle. You know, if one wants to live in the country and the other wants to live in the city, well, you have to know, is that a deal breaker or is it something you're going to somehow learn to deal with? So it's interesting you say that you want to find someone you'd like to hang out with. Because I totally see that in that it's 
important to have like a friend, a person that you can see yourself with for a long time. But it doesn't sound particularly exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's many people who they've been married for a while and then they kind of enter this midlife crisis when they look around and they're like, is this it? Like, is this what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life? So what can we do, of course, to keep our marriages exciting and fun and passionate beyond just like having a roommate that we like to spend time with? You want to have a romantic relationship is what you're saying, I think. And, and I agree. I think that's really important. See, about the hanging out, when I got to a certain stage, I realized that I truly wanted to get married and my fear that it wouldn't work out was less than my desire. You know, I, I just became more confident that I could do this and, and I could succeed. And I realized that, well, yeah, I love to ski and certain other things that I, you know, that are real exciting to do. I thought, you know, when you get older, you're not going to be after one adventure after another. So it's really important to have somebody I just like being with. I just like being in his presence. And, 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 and I guess it should go both ways. And, and I think he liked being in my presence, but that's not the whole relationship uh, <laughs> because, because you, you do want to have your romantic times. And that's important reason for the weekly date. Mm. You're not just hanging around watching TV. You're getting out. You are having some adventures and doing different things, taking vacations and uh, doing things that are exciting and, and bring you joy. And you're also remembering to keep the romance alive by doing things that please each other. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned earlier the word chemistry. And that is one of the C words in your book. And you actually do write that chemistry is something that can build over time. So it's not necessarily something we need to look for initially. So it is absolutely true that passion and excitement and adventure can increase and often does increase in relationships over time. So if we're not looking specifically for chemistry on our first dates when we're marriage-minded, what are some other things you want to look for and keep an eye out for? Feeling comfortable and safe mm -hmm. and like you can be yourself with the other person, meaning that you're feeling accepted and you can uh, pretty much say your thoughts without centering, the, uh, without centering them as long as you're not getting more personal than is appropriate on a first date. But just, you know, like, what do you like to do for fun? Find out if you have common interests, enough common interests and see where things go. Not, not come in with a script, just see what's on your mind, what's on his mind or her mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when I think about dating when marriage-minded, I do think of someone who's never been married before and, and they're looking for their life partner but there's also another subset of people who are divorced and they had a marriage perhaps with somebody they maybe moved in too quickly with or who knows what got them into the first marriage. But now they're dating again for the very first time. And you know, one of the things that really drives divorce statistics is those people that do marry again and again. So when we say like, oh, 50% of marriages fail, it's like, well... A lot of those are the people being married four or five times. <laughs> so when I'm thinking about dating while marriage-minded, what is your recommendations for those who have gone for a divorce 
to make sure they don't repeat the same patterns again and again, because people do end up in the same toxic relationships because they aren't aware of the patterns that they are repeating. So while you said a key word and that was aware, Mm. and this is uh, so important to know yourself better and understand what happened to the relationship, what was good about it, what attracted you to this person, but also what was it that didn't work out so well and why and how much of it was your ex, whatever your ex was doing, but also much more important is what was your role? Because you are likely if you don't know uh, when you're doing things automatically and then you are likely to to do them again. Like let's say somebody either was too demanding in the relationship or too passive um, and let things build up, you know, whatever, whatever it is, learn what your role is and, and then Mm. decide what you're going to do differently, whether it's making a different kind of choice in a partner or communicating what your needs are in a better way, you know, understanding Mm. what your needs are and communicating them and also understanding what your partner's needs are and encouraging that kind of communication too. And and then again, being a team, looking at what you're trying to do is not get everything you want or give in to your partner all the time, but how can the two of us together create a relationship that is fulfilling for both of us in all the important ways? You know, when I hear, I think it's all wonderful advice, you know, that we do have to unpack these patterns, be aware of them and work on all the things you mentioned earlier, like I statements, like speaking from the heart. But what comes to mind is I feel like this is done in partnership. I feel like we work on our skills for listening, communication with another person. So I'm curious when we're dating for the first time, how might we want to like bring these things up with our partners? You know, I'm almost imagining someone being like, Hey, I really like you and I'm being in a relationship with you. But just so you know, I have trauma left over from my childhood, or I realize I'm, I'm working on my communication skills and I would love some help with that. I like that I'm working on my communication skills and I'd like help with that. I think that's a very nice thing to say on a date. I don't know if I would say it on the first date. <laughs> you know, a lot of it depends on the person and trauma, depending on the trauma, um, where does that fit into your dating uh, timeline? Back <laughs> uh, of a better word. Uh, you know, what if, what if you had a mental illness, but you're basically recovered from it or some other kind of physical thing? I think first you want to see if the the vibes, the vibrations, your, how you're feeling together. Um, before getting into anything that might give them a distorted picture of who you really are, Mm. Um, because you don't want to be defined by your trauma before you know how much you have in common um, in terms of values and interests and lifestyle preferences and all your good character traits. So I would save the heavy stuff for when you're getting closer to where this could really be a, a committed relationship. If it's something that's going to be a deal breaker, certainly you have to bring it up, preferably before you commit that you're going to get married. Not preferably, it's a, absolutely, I would say. So I love that you emphasize that the key is awareness. So the key is building this awareness of one's patterns. And 
earlier, you also mentioned how you want to have the same interests, lifestyles, and values. Figure those out that they're aligned early on. And I'm also wondering about those people who don't quite know what their values are. And when you say like same interests, I I know you don't mean you should both love football. (laughs) (laughs) Unless that's like a huge part of your life or something. (laughs) So when you do say like similar interest, values, lifestyle, what are those specific things that you want to be aligned you know, what's the fluff that you don't have to worry so yeah, much I want, about? I want to uh, first get back to the idea of interest because I hope I didn't say same interests. I think enough similar interests is what I would say. Enough similar interests so that you will be spending some time together doing things that you both enjoy. Uh, but uh, certainly two different people, it's not likely that you would be um, aligned head to toe on every single interest. I love to ski and I married a man who doesn't ski. And that was part of my my thinking was that's not really important in the grand scheme of things because we have enough other things we both like to do. And also my idea of I it's more important to enjoy most of the time that I'm with him, which is I'm not skiing most of the time. I'm hardly skiing at all now, but but not not because of him, because you know, I kept up my skiing all through my marriage. He thought I'd be stopping soon because I was that old when we got married, but I still, I still ski a little, even though I'm a lot older now. So we, we made this deal that he was, he was going to come up at least once a year on a ski trip with me. And he did, but he thought it was only going to last a couple of years. <laughs> still going on. But anyway, that's a little <laughs> sideline. So, so, but back to your question, um, how do you know if you have enough, the same values, how do you know what your values are? I can give you something that might sound crazy to do to find out what your values are. Do you want it? Yeah. You write your own obituary. This is not in my book. I don't want to scare people. Uh, but way, way back when, you know, at, at, when I worked at um, one of the agencies, we had a training where we were told to write our own obituary. So we find out what do we really value mm. in life? You know, do I want to make uh, millions of dollars or do I want to have a happy home life? You know, maybe you can have both, but, you know, but, but what's most important? <laughs> so that, that's kind of extreme. I don't think it's extreme at all. I think it's perfectly reasonable to plan in advance. Think about how do you want to be remembered? What do you want your legacy to be? Uh To live, you know, as if tomorrow might be the day to make sure you're living in in accordance with what you care about. Yeah, I like the way you said that. And it is important. It is important. And to think long range and why was I put on earth? You know, what was I put here to accomplish? Mm Mm-hmm. And then you can share it with your partner and mm-hmm. then you can help each other reach those. Right, yeah. And if, <laughs> in the conclusion of my book, how important it is to know what's important to each other and to support you both on your journey to moving towards what you really care about. Absolutely. So I feel like that perfectly leads into the last and final question that I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love. I wish everyone knew that you can create it by the choices you make. And you can also maintain it by the choices you make. And with that logic, you can destroy it (laughs) with the choices you make. Yeah, but we want to emphasize (laughs) what we can do that we want to do. Now, if you want to destroy it, And some people do. That's a whole nother matter, but that's not my specialty. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love that because that's what we have been talking about this entire time on what those right choices are. And that's what's so important. Right. And if you're not making the right choices, find out why, get some good therapy. If that's likely to be something that's going to help you learn how to self-nurture, whatever way that works for you, but really get to know yourself and what's important to you and how to get rid of some old tapes that may be playing in your head that you got from a long time ago that are no longer relevant for your current life and your goals. Hmm. You can make a lot of good choices. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Marcia, for coming on to the show. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember that you might want to implement marriage meetings, which includes appreciation, talking (laughs) about chores, planning for the good times and dealing with any issues. We hope you work on your communication skills using I statements and also being aware of your nonverbal communication. When you're looking for that partner being marriage minded, be sure to find someone that you like to hang out with and you have enough similar interests, (laughs) not the exact same ones, and that you create love by the choices that you make. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Marsha. Thank you again for having me here, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 